on Tuesday, just as she started to unveil uh, what God's been showing her about faithfulness, we are in for uh, an amazing word from him. It's him that speaks through us. So I would just ask us just to, to posture yourself to hear uh, what she has to say. And even right now, she comes, ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, you have something for me this morning. You have some nugget of truth that you want to share with me this morning. So let's welcome this awesome woman of God as she comes and shares with us. Thank you. Um, I'll just keep myself organized. Nerves, they uh, make your mouth dry, and um, God makes, he moves me, and so um, I can get a bit emotional, but um, you know, uh, this morning is, um, it's it's a message, but I guess what I want to do is boast. I want to boast about the Lord, because he is so worthy um, of our praise, um, of our hearts, our lives, and he's so worthy to boast about. And just like we heard this morning um, from Amber, that was awesome wherever you are, um, God wants to show himself off. And it says, you know, it says that um, in these days uh, there will be an increase um, of knowledge of God, that he actually... This, to this day, he is pouring himself out and he wants to show himself to us. He wants to take us through things so that we do have testimonies, that we can speak our word out. And it's, it says the word of the, um, uh, we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And it's true. When we hear stories where, where God has moved and there's been a healing or there's breakthrough and there's freedom, our faith builds and it's those it's those testimonies we hear that we overcome and we get through. And um, so I want to boast about the Lord this morning. And, um, you know, it's it's so easy to be up here and suddenly feel like a little bit suffocated because I'm like, oh, what am I going to say? I want to get the order right and da-da-da-da. And you know what I've realized is that God orchestrates the order and we are, you know, we are in the house of the Lord and I love that song and it's like I could be here forever and we cannot look at that as as man, like thinking we're in the house of the Lord forever. No, 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 we're in the house of the Lord, like in him and there's space and there's freedom and we can be careless and when I say careless, I mean anxious free in a careful God. Careful God who loves us so much. And, um, so I'm going to look at his faithfulness this morning. And the, the word faith can mean to firmly persuade. And he is so faithful to firmly persuade us from the day he was born to the life he lived on earth and to this day, he is persuading us. Trust me. Look at me. Why? Because he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And I believe it with everything. So I'm going to look um, in the book of Hebrews and I'm going to sort of be weaving in and out of it. Um, fascinating book. Uh, so just bear with me and um, I, I want to do this out of a place of freedom of what he showed me. Um, and, and I don't want to uh, worry too much about getting things right in the order. It's 
it's important, but I want him just to speak through me, and that that would be released. So um, let's look at that, and I'm going to unpack the the position of high priest. Not only the position of high priest that Jesus came into, but the posture of his heart, the posture of a high priest, because there is actually a difference, and we're going to see that. Um, so I'm hoping by the end of this morning, um, you will be able to boast with me about the Lord, because that's that's what it's about. We come together around Christ not to come to one message or to listen to someone speak or listen to the great music. We've come together around the person of Christ. So let's talk about him. Let's get set on him because he's amazing. Um, so in Hebrews 3, it says, it says, starts with this. It says, brethren, um, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. And apostle means sent one, and he functions um, as a, a representative of God to the people. So he comes from heaven, and he brings the message of heaven to earth, and that's the role of, of the apostle. Um, and then the high priest, he's on the other side, same person, but he's on the other side, and now he is representing the people to God. Can we see that? So the apostle is here and he brings, he ushers heaven in. The high priest is amongst the brethren. He is like the brethren and so he's representing the brethren and interceding for them to the Father. So we see Jesus, not only did he come as this high priest, as a faithful representative of the Father, but he became, sorry, did I say high priest? He came as an apostle, sorry. But he also became a high priest so that he would represent us to the Father. And, you know, in both roles and in throughout his life, he was so faithful, so faithful with everything he did, everything he said, every miracle he performed, every rebuke, even the rebuking. It had one thing in mind, the Father's will. And what was the Father's will? We were his will, that we would be reconciled back to him. And so with everything he said, we have to remember he had us in mind. Faithful, so faithful. Christ was conceived in the Holy Spirit. And um, at that time, uh, when Mary found out she was pregnant, you know, this, um, this angel comes and says, you're going to have a boy and you're going to call him Jesus. And he is, because um, he's going to save the people from sin. And um, in the Old Testament, it was prophesied, it said, a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. And even in that picture, we can see God is with his people. Sent for his people. We also read, you know, as he's growing up, um, I love this story. This is personally one of my favorite stories. He's 12 years old and he goes with his parents to Jerusalem uh, for the Passover feast that was every year. And, um, you know, they, they spend the day there and then they start to journey back home. And uh, Jesus just decides to stay on. In Jerusalem, just decides at 12 years old that's what he's going to do, and um, it's it's later in the day that Mary and Joseph, you know, realise oh actually our our son's not with us, and uh, so now they 
want to travel back. And it's not, it's three days later, <laughs> they find Jesus in the temple, sitting amongst the teachers, asking questions, giving answers, and people are amazed. They're like, who is this kid? And um, he, you know, and then his, I, can, I can imagine this. His mum comes to him and says, son, what are you doing to me and your father? We have been seeking you anxiously. And what does he say to them? It's classic. He says, why do you seek me? Why do you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? It's like, can you imagine? I, I can't imagine. I find Shyla three days later sitting there, you know, and she says to me, oh, what are you talking about? You should know that I'm in my father's house. And I'd be looking at her going, what? Did you say something? You can imagine Joseph going, I knew she wasn't my child. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> See? <laughs> it's classic. And, um, you know, and it, it goes on to say that he... That Jesus grew in stature. Jesus, at 12 years old, grew in wisdom, grew in favor of God, favor with men. Even Jesus had to grow in this. Is that, it's, it's almost unbelievable, isn't it? Fascinating. So then Jesus, um, you know, he's getting older and then he, um, is baptized by John. Right? And you can read that story of how John is just trying to prevent him baptizing Christ. He's like, no way. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, no, this needs to happen because it needs to fulfill righteousness. And, um, so John lets it go and, it, you know, he baptizes Jesus and the Holy Spirit ascends, um, descends as the dove and the heavens open up and the Father says, this is my son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. Straight after that, we read how Jesus was led into the wilderness, led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted. Led. Didn't have to, this just didn't happen. See, there's no randomness with God. There's no mistakes. There's no coincidences. Fully led into the wilderness to be tempted. And we can see that the enemy tries to um, tempt Jesus with the same things that the Israelites were tempted in the wilderness. You know, worship worship these idols or, you know, living off the money. He says, it says here, it is written, this is Christ responding, the faithfulness to his father. Listen to this. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. He says, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And then get behind me, Satan. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him, and only him you shall serve. Faithfulness to the Father. One thing in mind, even in the wilderness, even when he is tempted, he is faithful. Where else do we read when uh, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan? Can anyone tell me who else he said that to? (laughs) Poor Peter. I feel for that guy, honestly, and I so relate to him. I so relate to his, his zeal, but, you know, always putting his, his foot in things and, yeah, it's, just see myself in that all the time. Um, yeah, he says, get behind me, Satan. This is to um, 
to Peter, you are an offense to me. You are an offense to me. You are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Saying this to his disciple, you are an offense to me. And what just happened? Why, why was um, Peter being rebuked? It was because Jesus started talking to his disciples and showing them that he had to go back to Jerusalem to suffer things, suffer horrible things, um, that the scribes, <clears throat> the leading priests of the day, they were plotting to kill him, and he was about to take that on. And so he's, he's sharing this with the disciples, and Peter pulls him aside and he says, I rebuke that, Jesus. I rebuke that happening to you, Lord. That is not going to happen. And that's when Jesus says, get behind me. Why? Because Peter is trying to persuade Jesus into things of man. Peter is fearful of this process that Christ needs to go through because he's lost the purpose. He's lost the reason why Jesus has to go through that. He doesn't even probably know to that extent. But Christ is so set on the will of his Father, he is so set on the joy that is set before him that he endured the cross. And we're going to look more into that. Jesus was persuaded by one person, and that was his Father. Even Jesus had to have faith. says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And I've often read this verse and thought, how, what was that joy that was set before Christ? Because it must have been pretty amazing. I mean, that joy must hold something so incredible that he could take that suffering. You know, and it's, and we can read the pages and be like, oh, he hung on the cross, you know, like, he was six hours on there. Six hours. In absolute excruciating pain. But he was beelining for something. He had something in mind. He saw something. And that's what he was gunning for. And, you know, it, um, I remember when I fell pregnant, I was so excited. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna have a little child and this is awesome. Um, but it wasn't long until, it hit me that, you know, I'm going to have to go through labor, right? All the mums said, oh, yeah, right? So it was like, oh, my gosh. And, and um, you know, it actually started to to uh, really cause fear over me. I, uh, I was worried about the pain. I mean, I've got a low pain threshold. And, I mean, even if you have a high pain threshold, it, it's pretty full on, you know. But um, I was I was fearful of what I had to go through. And the fear actually got to such a place where it was consuming my thoughts. It actually um, not paralyzed me physically, but paralyzed me where I was in a place where I was like, I don't know if I can endure that. I don't know if I can take that on. And what was happening was I was losing sight of what was set before me. I was losing sight of the freedom, the purpose of that suffering. And what was the purpose of my labor? What was the the outworking of that? It was to have my sweet Shyla. <laughs> you know, and I had her. I did endure. <laughs> and it wasn't, it was hours later that I'm staring at her going, you know what? I would do that again. I would do that again just to have you. Just to have you in my arms. And I believe Christ 
feels the same. <laughs> that he took that cross on because he's like, I'm going to have them by the end of this. I'm going to make a way so that they can come into everything that I've died for. And when when he opened that scripture to me, I tell you, <laughs> ask my husband, ask my mother, it changed the, my whole mindset towards labor. My whole mindset. I was like, right, this is on. <laughs> and I was feeling encouraged. And I actually started to encourage my team, my husband and my mum, and I said, look, when we're in that room and things are going down, do not pity the process. Do not try and make the pain stop. Do not try help me abort the process. I actually don't want to do it any other way. I actually wanted to go in without any drugs. And this isn't to say, you know, it's wrong if you do drugs. At the end, I, I was on that gas, let me tell you. But, <laughs> but my point is, <laughs> my point is, is that I was in freedom. That, that labor, that suffering that I was about to endure, it was almost like I wanted to go through it because I knew the joy that was set before me. I knew, I could see it. I could see it before she was even in the world. Before she was physical, I could see her. And I was like, I want that and I'm going after that. And that changed everything. So we, I want us to remember, you know, when Jesus was going through these things, when he had to go through the wilderness, when he was tempted, uh, the fact that he had to be baptized, there was a process. But there was a purpose to the process. And the purpose was us. The will of the Father is us. The joy that was set before him is us. Stunning. Stunning that he will be faithful to everything he had to do. Every suffering, every miracle, every glorious moment, every temptation was in obedience to the Father. Because if he was not faithful to God, if he was not faithful to the Father, he was not faithful to us. He could have aborted that process any time. He was in the garden of Gethsemane sweating blood. But he was faithful. And he said, not my will, but your will be done. Mums, you're amazing, by the way. <laughs> amazing. <clears throat> Pray that we never confuse the free gift of salvation as cheap. It's free, but it wasn't cheap. Bringing Shiloh into the world was free. <laughs> it wasn't cheap. And she better remember that all her days. <laughs> <laughs> I'll remind her if she forgets. <laughs> and my husband, that's right. <laughs> Jesus' life from birth was about his father's business. What was his father's business? We were, was his father's business. That we would be redeemed back to him. Sorry, I kind of lost my place. There we go. Yeah. And so we see that Jesus, his whole life, his entire life was 
in obedience to the Father and led by the Holy Spirit to do what he was called to do and to do it in perfect timing. Perfect timing. God is the God of order, but not man's order, not man's program, not man's viewpoint of things. He is spacious. He is freedom. He is joy. He is open living. And if we're not in that open living space, there's probably a fear of man there or a word of man. Paul said, you know, he learnt the things of Christ. It was revelation from Christ direct. He didn't hear it from man. It was mana straight from heaven, fresh mana. You know, when we read the scriptures, we have to ask why. Why? Why? Because faith, faith isn't just something that you go, um, like, what is your faith? Or, I mean, we say that all the time, but what does that mean? Our faith is a person. And so when we read things like, Jesus was baptized by John, or he grew in favor, he grew in stature, it's like, what does that mean? Why? Why? Because our faith isn't a person. If we love him, we will seek him out. It's not about reading scripture or, or you know, coming um, to a service to learn about him. No, every day we feed on him. Every day he wants to show himself. Every day he wants to persuade us, persuade us that he is faithful, faithful. Why did he have to suffer? Why did he have to learn? He, he, it says he learns obedience through suffering. Learns obedience through suffering. This is God. Our faith is in a person, and that person is totally committed to you, totally committed to me and my salvation. So, so let's study and observe his life. Let's partake of him in every circumstance, every verse of this book, every book in this book. Let's observe it. Let's unpack it. Let's ask why, because the person of Christ is living and he's in here. Every verse, every book, every instruction, every miracle, every suffering, because everything he did, everything he said, had what? Had us in mind. And do we believe this? Do we believe this? Faithful, faithful to us. Back then, 2,000 years ago, you know what blows my mind? Is that he was faithful to people who may never choose him people who may never turn their hearts back to him. He still died for them. He says he is faithful even when we are not. Faithful. So I'm just going to go into um, really quickly just the, the, how Jesus came in as high priest because what I find amazing in this is that God set it up. God has set us up for a complete win. It's unbelievable what he's set us up for and to. And it's it's just through this process that I want to look at and observe a few things because it's so interesting just how intentional God is about everything, how reliable and committed he is. You know, it says in Isaiah, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void 
but it shall accomplish what I please. And it will prosper in the thing for which I sent it. It will prosper. Man can do whatever he likes to try to get in the way, but it will prosper. And it will perform to what he pleases. Zechariah 9.9, this is the Old Testament, and he's prophesying about what's to come. Rejoice greatly, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey. And, um, you know, Zechariah uh, was a, a prophet, and he actually came from a priestly family, and he was a visionary, so he saw things. And it says in the New Testament, um, Zechariah was actually the most quoted prophet. And he goes on to talk about how the Messiah, Jesus, would be a priest, a governor, a humble king, and an afflicted shepherd. So when I say priest, I don't want us uh, to think about the guy with the collar, you know, which is a priest, but, but I'm talking about the priesthood that is spoken about in the Old Testament. Um, the descendants of Aaron, who was Moses' brother, um, and came from the line of Levi. And um, we can read in the books of, say, like Numbers or Leviticus, it's, it's jam-packed of how these priests were inaugurated, what they had to do, very specific things. Um, and you know, you can read over that stuff and be like, oh my gosh, boring. But it's not. I've been looking into it and there's so much to unpack. So much for us today. It's relevant today. And, um, so the priests of the day, they would be appointed by God and, um, they would go into the temple and they would, um, do these sort of services, these morning services, set things up, um, make blessings. And pretty much they were the people that mediated from God to the people. And so God would, um, um, his, guess what I say, his divine nature and love, the things he wanted to do, flowed from the pe- from, he flowed from himself through the priest to the people. And so that was their role, to be like a vehicle or a medium through which this divine influence of God would descend. Um, but the priest had to go through quite, quite a process, right? You couldn't just, become a priest. You had to be appointed as one. And then you would you would have to go through this thing called a mikvah. A mikvah. And that was a, a, a ritual immersion. So you'd be cleansed through um, being mikvahed. And um, you would have to have that happen before you could start your service or to start ministry. Um, it also took a priest to inaugurate another priest. And so through that mikvah, through that immersion, this priest would hand down the, the mantle of priesthood to the next. These priests also wore robes that fit them perfectly as individuals. And they had their very own outfit. And uh, this robe, if it was spoiled or if there was a mark, their service would be deemed invalid. If the robe tore or ripped, it meant that that priest's position was completely annulled. Completely annulled. So that's that's how specific it was. It could not be ruined. If it was, everything they did was invalid and their position was completely annulled. Interesting. 
Mm, that's good. Participate with me. It's good. Um, and you know, and these robes were actually double stitched. They were like woven real intricately, but for for that very reason that it wouldn't tear easily, because if that happened, it was game over. So the priests would go into the sanctuary and they would stand and they would officiate the sacrifice and the sacrifice would would burn up and they would allow it to finish before they could sit down again. Once this was done, they would sprinkle the ashes around the temple and this would cleanse the entire temple with these ashes. The high priest would make a sacrifice once a year and it would be on behalf of himself and of the entire nation that he represented. And, um, you know, they had like bells on the, the end of their robe. And the whole nation would hold its breath when the high priest entered in because that pre- the presence of God, if you were not, um, if you didn't have that robe on, if you were showing any flesh, if you were even sweating, you could die because the, it, it, any flesh that was in the presence of God would die. That was it. Game over. And so when this priest would go in, he was risking his life to go in on behalf of himself and of the nation. And so those bells, they stopped ringing. That stopped ringing. We knew what happened. Pretty full on. So I want to look at that question, why Jesus was baptized by John. Because it raises a good question, right? Why did God have to be baptized, let alone by John? Good question. We can read in Luke, it says, When Herod was king of Judah, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth, was also from the priestly line of Aaron, which means, because Zechariah and Elizabeth are the parents of John. So John was a priest. Takes a priest to inaugurate another priest, right? And the process is mikvah. Full immersion of water, of cleansing. So it has to happen to fulfill the scripture, to fulfill the law. Jesus had to go down and come back up as a priest. Why? So he could start his service. Funny he's led into the wilderness though, right? Because we need a priest who understands us. We need a priest who was tempted, a priest who was tested so that he could have testimony. Fascinating. We can read, obviously, more about his powerful and wonderful testimony, uh, uh, not testimony, ministry, the things he did. Um, it's incredible, right? We love those stories. And um, that went on for th- about three years while he's walking with these disciples. You know, he's turning the place upside down. And he is making people mad, right? People like the leading priests of the day, the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious, the leaders of the day. He is causing chaos with them, 
right? Because they are in position. They have laws. And anyone who's coming outside of that must be squashed. And so they're getting together and they're starting to have these meetings and they're trying to find justified reasons of why to take Jesus down, why he cannot, he should no longer exist. They're having these full-on meetings. And it's, it's so fascinating because Caiaphas, who was the high priest of the day, he's the representative of the people to God. To God. And God shows up and he wants to kill him. Like, what is going on? Because Caiaphas had the man, the, the, the mind of man. He, he saw things for the physical. He was in position. He was high priest. He makes the decisions completely unaware of the spiritual atmosphere, the spiritual realm, the order of events that are about to happen. He has no idea. Completely oblivious. And, ah, you know, as people of God, we have access to that realm. We have access to mi- mysteries that are in the Word. The mystery of Melchizedek, fascinating. And I encourage us all to get into it because there's a whole new order that's been put in place that is outside of position, outside of law, but still fulfills the law perfectly because we're in the framework of Christ. That's a tangent, but I hope that makes sense. (laughs) So that day comes when the priests and the the council, they they have Jesus before him. And um, they've got two witnesses that have come and said, you know, he said that he could um, destroy the temple and that, he would, God would rebuild it in three days. And so this is, this is the reason for hanging him, right? And so the high priest is before Christ and he arises and he says to Christ, do you answer nothing? Because Jesus is being dead silent. What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silence. The high priest answered and said to him, you can imagine, he's getting riled up, right? He's like, I put you under oath of the living God. Jesus, without even knowing it, God, I'm putting you under oath of the living God. It's a bit, it's a bit funny now. It's like, oh, it's embarrassing, you know? It's embarrassing. But we do it all the time. <laughs> I put you under oath. And what this means is if you look in Leviticus 5, um, it talks about this oath. And so what happened was if you were put under oath, it meant that if you saw something or you knew about something, but you refused to testify when you were called to testify, you would you'd be punished. You'd die because it's sin. Right? So now Jesus is in this position where he's been put under oath And so now he must speak the truth. Tell us, this is the high priest, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. So what does he have to do? What does he have to do? He's got to tell the truth. So he says, it is as you say it is, but I tell you, 
Hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of, of power, of the power, probably God, if you have God, and coming on the clouds of heaven. He's just given the truth that he is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. Can you imagine if Jesus tried to push his way forward or tried to justify himself? Or No, it's not the will of God. The will of God is for him to unfold things. All we do is be obedient and willing to go where the Spirit goes because he will orchestrate events perfectly. We will fulfill things perfectly only by knowing him, by trusting him, by being led by him. So once Jesus speaks this out, what happens? It says, the high priest tore his clothes, saying, he has spoken blasphemy, blasphemy. What has Caiaphas just done? He's torn his robe. He has annulled himself as high priest. Fascinating. Did Jesus have to go in there and tear it off him? No. God does that. God does that. Faithful. Faithful that his word will go out and it will accomplish what he wills. It will prosper. There is nothing that we can try to do to make things happen. He will do that. We can rest in that. We go where he goes. So now Jesus is coming into play, right? He's been fully immersed. He's up now as priest spiritually. Right? And now he's about to come into the physical position of high priest. I hope I still have everyone. (laughs) And the funny thing is, Caiaphas had actually prophesied in John. He prophesied that a man will come and he, it is better for, for us to know that it says, for you, that one man die for the people, then the whole nation perish. This is what Caiaphas spoke, and then he doesn't even realize it's happening before him. And the crowd said, he is deserving to die when they heard this. It's classic, because he's about to ordain his own sacrifice. As the high priest we had to be cleansed, put that robe on, then then ordain the sacrifice, then make the sacrifice, which is himself. Spectacular. The high priest ordains his own sacrifice. Amazing. When we read in John, you know, he received that sour wine on the cross and he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. In Psalm 22, David is talking about what will happen to Christ. Again, prophesying in the Old Testament, prophesying what is going to happen to this Messiah. And we can read in verse 18, it says, They divide my clothes among themselves and throw dice for my garments. The fulfillment of that is in John. It says in John 19.23, When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among the four of them. They also took his robe. It was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. And they said, Let's not tear it. Let's not tear it, but throw dice to see who gets it. 
Do they even realize what they're saying? <laughs> what they're doing? No. No. Oblivious. Our king, our Messiah, went through the process, leading right up until his death, fulfilling prophecies, fulfilling the law perfectly, everything that was spoken, showing his faithfulness to the will of the Father and to us, to the people that he is representing now to the Father. You know, there were a few things that Caiaphas did that broke the law, even of the day. Um, Things like there should be no trial that should be held during the Passover week, and there was. Um, that each member was to vote as individuals, but actually they came to a, an agreement as a group. And, of course, they were not meant to be held at night, and Jesus was arrested and trialed at night. There should be a representative, but Jesus had no one. I just want to look at Hebrews 5 that talks about the heart posture of a priest. He must be appointed. He cannot appoint himself. He must be from among men in order to represent the people. He must offer thanksgiving and make sacrifices for them, intercede for them with compassion, since he himself is also subject to weakness. What? Oh, that's right. Even Jesus had to grow in stature. Even Jesus had to grow in wisdom and favor. Oh, that's right. He had to be baptized. Oh, that's right. He had to be tempted. Can we see our lives? They are just a reflection of him. And the more we partake of him in every circumstance, every environment, every situation, if we will partake of him, if we will be faithful to the one who is faithful, we will be made righteous. It says in Philippians 2 verse 6, Who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be 